Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So our new worship series that's going to carry us through to Pentecost next month is called Theology, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And as I indicated to the children a moment ago in children's time, theology is what we think or what our knowledge is of God. It's engaging with not only pondering, but really wrestling with who God is. And so therefore, what would God have us be? What would God have us do? And how does that affect what we say and how we are in relationship with other people? And one of the things that I have been spending a lot of time thinking about even before Lent and Easter is that there's a lot of theology in our world. And I'm not even talking about outside of Christianity. Let's just focus on Christianity. We'll try to stay in that realm. But in Christianity, there's a lot of divergent theologies that kind of go off in multiple directions. And especially if you have been in, in contact or brought up or born into a different denomination and now you're exposed to United Methodism or you've had the experience of kind of going through different churches and different denominations, then you might be aware that there are some different emphases because of theological trajectories that different denominations take. And so it's important for us to think about what we have as a personal theology. Now, there are some denominations where you're not allowed to have a personal theology. You must subscribe to theirs. Methodism is not that way. There is a lot of space for diversity, not just in who we are, but how we think and feel about God. The one thing that unites us is that we are Trinitarians. We do believe that God has revealed God's self in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there's a lot of room for us to have dialogue and connection and grow and discuss some different things. And I find that to be a beautiful hallmark of this denomination. But for some people, that is total chaos and upsetting. So what do you do in order to navigate that, especially if you've come from one of the more uh, direct and the more concise denominations or expressions of Christianity. How, how do you deal with this in Methodism? Or how do you as a Methodist go out into the world and deal with theologies that are counter to what you think of? So let me give you an example of when I first became hyper aware of this reality in our world. So after I graduated from Northern Virginia Community College, I transferred to the College of William and Mary and moved to Williamsburg. And of course, what do you do in the summer before your classes start and you're living in a new area? You travel around and you look and see what's around. So one day I traveled down to Virginia Beach and I was out walking the boardwalk and it was a really busy, I think it was a Friday night because it was just packed down in Virginia Beach. And while I was there, I got to a street corner and I was trying to cross and there was a gentleman standing up on a, a platform that he had brought, like he had bought a wooden platform and was standing up on it. And he was holding a sign that was talking about repent, the end is near. And then he was rattling off a bunch of people that God hates. And I remember standing there just shocked that 
this is how somebody was sharing Christianity with the world. That did not resonate with me. That's not how I understand God. That's not how I understand Jesus Christ. And I'm also not from a denominational tradition that thinks that that was okay. So for me to encounter this really aggressive form of theology that was being thrown, you know, is that people are sinners and people have evil things that they do and we need to save them was not the spiritual trajectory that I was born into, nurtured and grew up in. And it's certainly not the one that I joined in my confirmation. And it wasn't the one that I was expecting to be ordained into. And you have to wrestle with that. So what do you do when that is coming at you? How do you interact with that? Well, you might be pleased to know that I didn't kick him off his platform and tell him that Jesus loved him. Although nowadays, I would be very tempted to do that. Uh, However, what I did do was talk with my friend that was with me and say, you know, that really upsets me. I don't think that's good PR for Jesus. I don't think that that's the way that we help people experience an incredible God who chooses to define God's self by love. I don't think that that is going to help anybody go, you know what? I am an evil sinner and I should come to your church on Sunday. I'm not sure that that's an effective way to get people to come. I would not advocate that form of evangelism. But what we do have to do is kind of wrestle with that. Where is that coming from? Because that gentleman on that platform thought of himself as devout and Christian as I did. So why are we so different? We're so different because we come from different theological ends of a spectrum. And that's why each Sunday in this worship series, we're going to talk about some of those tensions that you find in the theological spectrum. And the first one we're going to wrestle with, you heard both words in today's scripture, forgiveness versus condemnation. So what's the difference there? Actually, they can kind of go hand in hand. But really, if you're a Christian whose theological trajectory is on forgiveness, then whether you recognize it or not, you're actually thinking about a relational theology because forgiveness is part of the necessary and vital components that lead us to reconciliation. And to reconcile means to make right in relationship. It means to bring things back into a harmonious alignment. It means that we are seeking to not just coexist, but to be reunited. And so that's relationship. That's a huge shift from the other end. And why? Why do we think that relationship is so important? Well, it could go all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis. One of the things that I really love about the second creation story, not the one about ordered, ordered uh, creation Monday through Friday and that sort of thing, but what we really see in the second story about Adam and Eve is that there's this wonderful little piece that sometimes we kind of skip over because in the story already Eve and Adam have eaten the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the serpents already had that little dialogue and so we're all kind of just waiting for God to find out what they did and we kind of rush past it but there's this beautiful little piece of a verse that said that before God encounters them naked (laughs) what god does is god it comes walking through the garden in the evening breeze and god wanted to come and be present with adam and eve god wanted to be in relationship and if you've ever had a person in your life with whom you 
could go walk and not necessarily just to talk or communicate, but just to be in their presence, to be out in the world, to be exploring creation, to be taking time, to be together with that person, then that might resonate with you as well. That God was choosing to come, to come to Adam and Eve where they were in the garden and be present with them and check in with them at the end of a day. What a beautiful moment. I mean, of course, we skip right over that real quick because we're like waiting to find out what happened. But if we look at that, just those few words of a verse, it tells us about how important relationship is. But there's even more than that in the story. Because if we go back to the creation of Adam, what we find is God's like, you know what, this is not good. He needs a friend. He needs a partner. He needs a helpmate. He needs someone with whom he can be in a relationship with all the time. And so we create all the animals. It's a fun story. But then we create Eve. And and now we have another human being, and the relationship that is possible through two human beings is truly exceptional. And that's what God is showing us in that story, and that's what generations upon generations of God believers have preserved and given to us. Now, it's not explicit. Our theology is of relationship. But you can glean that. You can read those stories, and if you're paying attention, you can see these elements of relationship that are all throughout the story. And Jesus spends so much time in his earthly ministry in relationship, developing it, cultivating it. And in my experience, relationship isn't standing up and yelling at a bunch of strangers that they're sinners. I don't find that to be a good way. How did you meet? Well, actually, I was standing out on a street corner in Virginia Beach and telling him he's a sinner and going to burn in hell. I don't really think that's one of the ways that we want to try to cultivate relationship. But Jesus knew better. Jesus used to go to where people were, and he broke bread with them, and he ate with them, and he laughed with them. He spoke to them, and he let them talk to him. He allowed them to share their problems and their fears. And then because Jesus is God incarnate, Jesus was able to help people. He looked at people that the rest of the world was embarrassed to see, were disappointed in, that they had rejected, and he looked at them and saw a beloved child of God. And he went to them and gave them healing, not just in their bodies, not just in their minds, but in the very depths of their soul. Because that's what relationship is about. A righteous relationship is about choosing to go through the surface and the veneer of, hey, how are you? How's your day? Good, great, moving on. And going deep into, well, how is it with your soul? What's going on with you? How can I encourage you and support you? How can I show you how much you mean to me? That's the difference about a true relationship and one that is just a superficial and almost artificial acquaintance. Instead, we are called to be a people of deep, profound relationship. That's why throughout the ages, the church has been referred to as the body of Christ. The body is a deep and profound relationship layer upon layer of different systems that all have to interact and work with each other. Your respiratory system works with your cardiac system. Everything is working together, and when one system is not working well, it has ramifications and ripple effects through the entire body, and the church is no different. 
if a segment of the body of Christ is suffering, if they are experiencing persecution, if they are in dire need of connection, or if they need to have their fears recognized, if they need others to recognize their equality, if they are struggling to feel that they are of value, not just to God, but to God's people, then that affects us. And sometimes the church has looked at other people and said, you know what, if you're going to be a problem, we'll just amputate the arm. But the rest of us suffer. That is not what we are called to be. So when you look at a theology about forgiveness, you are talking about an understanding. Maybe it's not overt, but at least an implicit theology that God is about relationship, that we then need to be about relationship. So when someone comes to you and says, you know, I'm sorry, what we do is we're not looking to like grind the axe. We don't want to make sure that, you know what, you're sorry, but you're going to be sorry after I make you pay for this. That's a theology of condemnation. And that's not what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't up on the cross looking down at the very people that had conspired and used earthly machinations to put him up on that cross. Look down and go, God, forgive them after they all get a sexually transmitted disease. That is not what Jesus did. Jesus looked down at them and said, right now, as they are, forgive them. They don't understand. They don't know what they're doing. So forgive them so that in the space that forgiveness creates, they can step into a relationship with you. They can understand that it isn't just about trying to preserve earthly power and authority and privilege. It isn't about fear of transitioning. It isn't about not understanding what God is doing now because we serve a God who does a new thing. Not just when Jesus came to us, but God does a new thing all the time. We serve a God in the book of Revelation that says, I am making all things new even at the end of the world. I will make all things new. And I will create a place where all of humankind, if they choose, can enter into an existence of eternity that is truly a right relationship, where never again will they suffer, will they get sick, will they die. And anyone that has ever lost someone, I don't care if you're a young child and you've only lost a pet, or if you're an adult and you have lost all of your family and your friends to death, you know that what is the biggest problem about death is that it robs us of a relationship. It steals from us the experience and the encounters, the presence, the love, the joy of being with the one that we love. And that's why death is so traumatic. That's why when someone dies and we watch other people mourn, even if we didn't know the deceased, we feel it deep within ourselves because it reminds us of those we have lost. And we feel not just compassion, but empathy because we understand relationship. Condemnation instead comes from a place of, we're all sinners, and yes, we are all sinners, but that is not our defining characteristic. We were not created to be sinners. We were created to be in relationship. So when you come from a theological background about condemnation, instead what you're saying is, this whole thing has been a mess, and we have to fix it. We have to fix you. Have you ever noticed that in some denominations where the entire thrust is about condemnation, they spend a lot of time about saving people or saving souls? But it's not about 
a relationship with those people. It's like, we held an event and we saved 1,500 souls. And then the next month, we went over two towns and we did it there too. What did you do with the people after you saved their soul? What happened then? What happened the next time that they suffered a financial crisis? What happened when they had someone that was so beloved in such a central part of their town and their life and their family and their church? What happened then when that person died? Where were you in the relationship? It's not about sweeping in, throwing a little salvation, and moving on. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus encouraged people to find connections and to maintain them. I already told you about one of the things Jesus did from the cross, but the gospel account of John gives us a glimpse into something that only John shares with us. And that is that while Jesus was on the cross, he looked down and he was concerned about the loss that his mother would experience, that her eldest child was going to die right before her eyes. And because of the way the society was at the time, there would be no one to take care of her. Who would care for her now? Who would step into that relationship and show her kindness and compassion? Who would love her in his stead? And he looked down and he saw the beloved disciple. And he said, you, I am inviting you to now be her son. And mom, he's now going to be yours. And he created a relationship The gospel account of John tells us that one of the final things our Lord and Savior did before he breathed his last on that cross was that he forged a new relationship for two people that had loved him, that had journeyed with him, that had experienced and wrestled with who he was and what he was saying and doing. But before he left in death, he wanted them to have a new relationship that would help sustain them as they were mourning, as they were in awe and and suffering with what had happened. He wanted a relationship to carry them forward. And that's really the difference. So if you find yourself wrestling with, well, am I of the forgiveness theology or am I of the condemnation theology? What you really have to decide is, What do you think God's relationship with you is? Do you think that God created all of these people and when you look at a baby, do you see a sinner? Or do you see a beautiful new start of life? Do you look at others and see an opportunity to get to know someone and have someone get to know you? Do you look at other human beings, maybe not all yet, but do you look at some and recognize your connection with them. This is my parent. This is my sibling. This is my best friend. This is my colleague. These are the people to whom I am connected. And because of that connection, I'm not going to spend my time condemning them. I'm going to spend my time forgiving them. Because at the end of every day, what is most important is that tomorrow, that relationship has a chance to flourish again. And condemnation doesn't lead to flourishing. Condemnation is about conflict. It's about trying to force your will in your way on someone else. And that's not the tact Jesus took. In fact, remember what the scripture said. Most people know John 3, 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. But verse 17 is important. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The thrust of forgiveness is salvation. The direction that Jesus wanted us to go was to not only receive our own salvation, not condemnation, but to find that we can be forgiven so that in turn, we can forgive others. And so perhaps the work ahead of us this week is if we believe that we can be forgiven, if we believe the words of the gospel account of John, if we believe the testimony and the tradition of the body of Christ through almost 2,000 years, then how do we forgive others to show that truth, to reveal that theology? And perhaps to put it in the most accessible way, who is it that we need to forgive this week? And how can we show them in that forgiveness that God is willing, ready, and desires to do the very same? That's what we do when we think about who God is. And then we think about how that informs us. How we talk, how we interact, what we do, and most especially, how we look at other people. May all of us find an opportunity this week to embody John 3.17 and to forgive rather than condemn. May it be so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.